0: Good
1: morning, everyone, and welcome to the Mac and Jack Debate Show with our special guest host, Dr. Paul Simmendinger. We're live on Roku, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter. We'll be you know, all over the place today, folks. Uh, I'm your host, Mac, with your co-host, the box of Boxing Hall of Fame uh, legendary writer, really, Jack Hirsch, who serves pretty much as our, our, our sports guru. Uh, he knows everything about sports, folks. And, of course, we have Dr. Paul Semendinger, uh, Yankee blogger, Yankee expert, Yankee analysis, and knows a lot about Major League Baseball and sports in general, too. In fact, these two guys, as I said before, could put Center away any day of the week. So I'm glad to have them on. Um, you know, I got a few announcements to make, guys. Uh, first, congratulations to Dr. Paul Semendinger as he receives the 2021 gold winner uh, under – Adventure, sports, and recreation, adult nonfiction uh, for the least among them. So congratulations, Doc. Heck of a job. Another award you're racking up there. Thank you. Uh, congrats, Doc.
2: I, I didn't know that till Mac just announced it. When he said gold glove, I thought it was that league that you play in, that you pitch. You won a gold glove fielding award. Yeah. No, no I mean,
3: but somebody hit a line drive at my last start, right up the middle, and I caught it, and the guy who was on first was running too fast, and I doubled him up. Oh, but see? Nice. So so I got a gold glove on that one play, if nothing else. We got a double play go. out of a line drive.
1: Jack uh, will be covering the, the live uh light heavyweight championship of the world for the most part Whoever wins this will probably be the consensus uh lightweight heavy light heavyweight champion between Artur Beterbiev uh, that's what he's be, that's as being pronounced uh by people who know him so I'm going to stick with it Artur Beterbiev and Joe Smith Jr live from Madison Square Garden Well He'll- I won't call it
2: consensus mac because there's Demie Bival, who just beat
1: Canelo Alvarez he holds the other belt I think whoever wins this will probably holding three belts will be called that. I know you do have Bivol over there and he beat somebody that wasn't a light heavyweight, really. So, um, you know, we'll see what happens. I hope uh they unify all the belts. We'll see what happens in the end. But a big fight tonight. Um, We also have live arm wrestling competition. One of the biggest in the world would we'll be going right after almost right after we're off will be on from 12 to about 8 o'clock tonight, hosted by our friend Jamie Paggs, the Philly sports guy who's an unbelievable uh, arm wrestling uh, fanatic. He's arm wrestled before in the past. That'll be almost all day on Roku. So if you like arm wrestling, you love watching people, uh, you know, tear each other's arms out of their socket, which I do, uh, tune into Roku for that. And then following that, I will be doing a watch-along of the live fight with a, uh, with a pretty good guy. I mean, uh, he knows a lot about boxing. Um, you know, he's uh, he's well-known in the U.K. He has his own show over there, and uh, he's said he'd go on with me. So uh, Lee Groves will be hosting the uh, watch along with me and we'll be kind of – Lee Groves, he's in Virginia, Lee Groves. You said he was yes, in the U.K. He is sometimes. So anyway okay. – <laughs> So anyway, Lee Groves and me will be uh, doing a watch-along. So if you're watching the fight, come on with us. And Let on. me say
2: something. Lee is on the short list of the most knowledgeable people in all of boxing. I mean, I he, tremendous knowledge,
1: unbelievable knowledge, Lee Groves. So, and he's so written is, several books, you know, as well. This will, so this will be a uh, all-day affair on Roku and YouTube. And so if you haven't downloaded the app, Go ahead and download it now, and you'll see every all of this on the big screen tonight, folks. So, uh, a lot of fun today on uh, on Northeast Streaming Sports on the Roku channel. So, I want to I want to do a little analog with you guys because we got some stuff to cover today, and I wanna I wanna ask you the question. And this this kind of sounds the same, but it's really not. It's really two two different questions or scenarios. So. The question is, is a community built around a sports team or is the sports team built around the community? So I'll give you a couple quick examples of this. Right. So when I was in the service, I was stationed in Kirtland Air Force Base, Albuquerque, New Mexico. Without the base there, Albuquerque would have lost thousands of jobs. Um, Their town would be pretty poor. The base really kept that thing, kept Albuquerque growing, and the area around Albuquerque growing, because of all the people that worked on the base that were civilians, and all these businesses were set up for the servicemen. Another example is uh, when I coached the town team, the town I coached in, uh, in Windsor Locks, uh, was known for the major, was known for baseball. They won the '69 uh, World Series. Uh, way back when, and so they had like 20 fields. Soccer was big, and it really wasn't part of the community until we really got good, and then the people started coming out. Before that, nothing. So we kind of, we kind of built it towards the community. The community wasn't really behind the, the football program. So um, that's my question for you guys. It you know you have a lot of high school Texas high school teams down there that draw as much as there's boxing as major boxing matches. I mean, 20,000 people strong uh, just for the high school programs. Same thing in New Jersey to a point, Florida and Philadelphia. Um, and then you have states that have no professional teams, right? And they got that minor league teams uh, that really give these, these people something to do in the community uh, rallies around, you know, that team and even people from other towns will go watch that team. So, it's kind of built around that minor league team. So my question to you guys is, which one do you think is more so? You know, is it is it the community that gives you that sports or is it the sports that sometimes gives you the community? What do you think, Jeff? I think, guys, we have to look back to the
2: Brooklyn Dodgers, what the community of Brooklyn, the borough of Brooklyn, meant to the Dodgers. It made the Dodgers the endearing, iconic franchise it was. When we think of the Brooklyn Dodgers – We remember them so fondly because of the community of Brooklyn, unlike the New York Giants who didn't really have the same community involvement where they were located in Manhattan. Okay. And I, but I think it's more important in the small towns. I'm going to tell you, I was, it warmed my heart a couple of years back when the Washington Nationals won the world series I'm in Washington and in West Palm Beach, they have a parade scheduled afterwards for the following spring, because that's where the national spring training base is. So they, even though they were the Washington Nationals, the community there wanted to make a big fuss over them. I think it means so much in the small towns where high school football, really is the king. And you have a team there and that team leaves. I mean, it hurts the community to no end. I mean, we had a recent thing with the Staten Island Yankees. They left Staten Island. What does that mean for the community of Staten Island? It's a downer. And if we're looking to move, I could guarantee you, let's say, for example, Doc was looking to move to Florida part-time or whatever. You would look towards Tampa because it's the Yankees' spring training base. It doesn't mean he would move there, but it comes it becomes an important fact that the people a sports franchise anywhere is a very important thing and when it's taken away the community suffers but what means more i think the community adds more to the team it picks up the whole franchise the involvement and 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 it bounces off the players. They could sense the community involvement. If there's a lot of community involvement, they're going to want to be more involved. And it kind of, I think, even picks them up a little indirectly on the field.
1: What do you think, Doc?
3: Yeah, I think it. Um, you know, we're talking small town. We're talking big town. We're talking uh, professional. We're talking amateur. We're talking high school. I, so I think it really depends a lot on on the region. I remember when I went out to college as an undergraduate back in the 1980s, and we didn't even have cable TV in uh, Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, and... You know, it was very hard for me to follow the Yankees. What would what, what happen would be that you know, there was no Internet yet or any of that. So my dad would actually cut out articles from the New Jersey or the New York papers and put them in an envelope and mail them to me. And I'd get articles about the Yankees, you know, a few days after anything ever happened. But I would put on the, the sports on the on the uh, TV, the local news stations. And it was culture shock because I was amazed that the biggest sports stories of the year, or of the evening each night, were always, you know, like um, the the high school football teams. Like this this school was playing that school, and Wilkes-Barre Central Central's playing Bishop Hope in high school in a big giant football game. And I'm I'm saying to myself, "Oh my goodness, the Yankees are in the playoffs!" Or well, the Yankees weren't really back in the 1980s when I was in college. But the Mets are in the playoffs, or whatever. And the biggest sports story is some high school football game. So I think in in communities like that where where high school sports reign supreme, it's the community that rallies around the team rather than the team that rallies the community. I think Jack makes a great point with the Dodgers. The Dodgers were a team that was a big part of the community. I think if you go up to Boston and, and and you walk around the area around Fenway Park, there's a sense that that's sort of like. A Red Sock hub, you don't get that same sense when you walk around Yankee Stadium. Yankee Stadium isn't really ever become part of the community. I think the Yankees hoped it would, but nothing's really ever grown up around Yankee Stadium. Um, as far as you know, there's a couple of bars, a couple of Yankee shops, but people don't go there except for a Yankee game, and then everybody leaves. Great point. And I think, and I think it also depends on the time and and the specific era. I don't know, I'm gonna be there in a about a month or so down in the inner Harbor in Baltimore. But when the Orioles first opened up Camden Yards, what was it like almost 30 years ago now, or uh, just about 30 years ago, the inner Harbor was booming and and the advent of Camden Yards was something that really added to it. Um, From what I hear, it's not quite the same as it was because Baltimore is not quite the same as it was. And things are a little bit different down there. Um, So I think sometimes like the advent of a team coming into an area like the Orioles coming into into the inner harbor of Baltimore brings a sense of community and helps build up an area. Um, Whether or not that's sustainable over a long period of time, I think is debatable because I don't think the Orioles have really been able to do much to promote the inner harbor like they did back in the early nineties.
1: Yeah. Both great points. Both great points. And I'll give you another one here in Connecticut. Of course, we have no professional sports. We, you know, we're divided professionally between mainly the Red Sox and the Yankees, Mass in, in New York. But the yard goats sell out all the time, and it's a big deal. I mean, people go into Harford, it's uh, 20-something thousand stands, and they're normally sold out because this is what we got. And, of course, all over the news, you know, when they do news here, they talk about the yard goats or, as you said, high school or college uh, sports uh, here in Connecticut because we have no professional sports. So the yard goats, I think, That coming there uh, helped out Hartford a lot, and they get a lot of community support because of that, Uh, and because they get so much community uh, support, they can add things to it, and I think uh, even in a state like Connecticut that's kind of small and still has 3 million people in it, um, you know. This the the, the the yard goats are a huge deal here and that you normally know I mean? they'll lead off sports with that instead of the Yankees and, and the Red Sox, even though you know both teams are doing real well. So um it's pretty interesting to me how how it how it breaks down and how people are drawn to certain things. And I think a lot of states with non-professional sports, definitely the community really supports these independent minor league teams.
2: Matt Mac, it depends on the <clears throat> City, the community, take Green Bay, for example. If the Packers left, they would be devastated. The Packers mean more to the community of Green Bay than Green Bay means to the Packers. Even though Green Bay means an awful lot to the Packers, don't misunderstand me there, they would be devastated because that's their ID card, basically, the Green Bay Packers. In in, in New York, it's a bit different, too. The exception might be the Yankees because they're so iconic. The Yankee brand needs New York, okay? They can't really move anywhere else and have the same brand and the same prestige. But in most cases, yeah, you know, a team can move. I mean, the Brooklyn Nets could move out of Brooklyn conceivably and Brooklyn is going to still move on. But uh, it depends. Individual athletes mean a lot. For example... Why stay, you know, Florida, Delray Beach, Coco Graff, the tennis player, who went to the finals, uh, the women's finals of the French Open, she's big in Delray Beach. The community rallies around her, and then boxing, the Boxing Hall of Fame is in Canistoda, New York, because they wanted to honor their two world champions, the tiny village, Carmen Basilio, who beat Sugar Ray Robinson and his nephew, Billy Backus won a world title so for small communities it's such a a sense of pride
1: yeah i mean it, it, you should say the thing about same thing about the bills right i mean if buffalo lost oh, yeah the bills, oh, yeah I mean, what do they have there they got nothing there anymore so that community support there for the bills is what keeps the bills there if they it was buffalo sabers but it wouldn't be the same No, not at all because i mean listen if the bills left what 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 is buffalo's identity so they're going to That's what keeps the bills there is that community backing them that much, so that's pretty interesting there too. So, um, great answers, guys. You know, I I think I think a lot of times that uh, we we take for granted uh, what these teams do uh, for the communities and what the communities do for the teams. I mean, it's it's got it's got one hand's got to wash each other to a point, but as you said, Jack, the Yankees can't move. They can't move. They might have said the same thing about the Giants, though, and they did. So uh... no one, no one thought the Brooklyn Dodgers were going to move at the time,
2: and they called their bluff in a way, and they did move. But which guys? This raises an interesting question too: if a team badly needs a new stadium, should they pay for it? Should the city, state, or you know, pay for it? Should they meet halfway? You know, it's an age-old argument when the Cleveland Browns moved. They tore the heart out of the city of Cleveland. Thankfully, they're back. And it's not an easy question to answer. And I think teams sense how much leverage they have because certain teams know the community slash the city can't afford to allow them to leave.
1: But you want to know something else too, Jack? Would the Bills be as popular in the city as they are in Buffalo? I don't know. I don't know. Would the bills Would the bills be better? They, I, they would they would the, people. I don't would know. They, not not like this, Jack. I don't think so. So suppose the bills moved to Pennsylvania, that they they became whatever bills. Let's they, call it St. Louis. That needs right. the Suppose they move. Air. Suppose they move to St. Louis. Do you really think the bills would have as much support as they got right now? They would sell out the game. I don't it know. Would be the same I don't emotional support. I, I agree with you there.
2: But the bo- dollar. The bottom line in dollars. I think would be the same. They just wouldn't have the emotional support and quite the same identity that I agree with you on.
1: I don't know. I don't know. You might be able to to sell out, but when you're bad, would you be able to sell out? That's the question. I know in Buffalo, they would sell out if they were still bad. That's that's what I think.
3: I think over time, it becomes part of the community, right? Like the uh, teams that come in, even like an expansion team. In the beginning, there's not a lot of love, but as the team's, been there for year after year, decade after decade, then that love and that community sense grows as well.
2: And and we're spoiled being in the big city. If we lived upstate New York in a small town where they had a minor league baseball team, we would be putting such heavy emphasis on that minor league team. We'd actually be looking at their standings and what place they're in. And that's a real, real pride. If it's, if you're living in a small town, having any type of team.
1: Definitely, definitely. So, guys, what we here for, we all know. Let's get it going. The Jack, Mac and Jack Debate.
0: Anything you can do, I can do better. I can do anything better than you. No, you can't. Yes, I can. No, you can't. Yes, I can. No, you can't. Yes, I can. Yes, I can. Anything you can be, I can be greater. Sooner or later, I'm greater than you. No, you're not.
1: Yes, I am. No, yes, folks, the Mac and Jack Debate Show with our guest hosts. Dr. Paul. Uh the first topic we're gonna to talk about is boxing. Because uh Jack should win this hands down, but I'm not gonna let him. So uh
2: they're no we'll, winners. It's a matter of opinion, Mac. They're no We'll winners. see what happens.
1: So I don't know, I, I've
2: got a
3: right cross uh waiting or it's a left cross, I guess, waiting here. So
2: <laughs> gotta dip
1: down a little when you throw it. Yeah, That's well, <laughs> You know I mean, yeah you get, yeah and and bring and bring that uh right hand up just just to make sure that they don't catch you with coming back with the left um so folks uh we're gonna ask who was the greatest during their prime um we're gonna go with Roy Jones or uh the money man himself um that that um mayweather I'm trying to remember his first name Floyd Floyd mayweather Famous Floyd, Floyd Mayweather or Roy Jones Jr. Who was the greatest in their prime and Jackie Gopher.
2: Yeah, we're not talking about who had the greater career because Roy Jones Jr. fought on too long. As is often the case in boxing. Floyd Mayweather knew when to slow things down, how to pick the opponents at the end of his career and how to get out. And he got out with an unbeaten record. But you have to look at them when they were at their peak, when they were at their absolute peak of their powers. And to me, it's not even close. I mean, Roy Jones was clearly the greater fighter when they were at their absolute peak. Uh, Roy Jones, till he started his descent, which really began with the first Antonio Tava fight, he hardly lost any rounds during his career. You could say he lost, you know, maybe seven, eight rounds in his whole career to that point. Rounds I'm talking about, not fights. Mayweather in his fights would lose a few rounds. He lost a few rounds to Miguel Cotto. You know, he lost two, three rounds to Canelo Alvarez, even though one of the judges actually had the audacity to call that even. He lost rounds to Oscar De La Jolla. Mayweather You know, and Jones is kind of a little the same way. They pick and choose what they would be doing. You know, I'm writing a column now on a great lightweight champion, Carlos Ortiz, who passed away at age 85 last Monday. And Ortiz, during his prime, during that era, he would go to another opponent's backyard when he regained the title from Ismael Laguna. He went to Panama City, Laguna's home country. Jones and Mayweather never really did that. But Jones, during his prime, was untouchable. He was so good as a smaller guy. They were talking about matching him with Lennox Lewis, a middleweight. They were talking about moving up and matching him against Lennox Lewis. And in fact, he did move up the heavyweight, and he did win a belt against John Ruiz. Was John Ruiz, a legitimate heavyweight champion in a real sense. Of course not. But John Ruiz would have been the equivalent of a number three heavyweight contender, yet a much smaller Roy Jones moved up and beat him decisively. I mean, he's just a great fighter. Roy Jones, he punched much harder than Mayweather. Mayweather wasn't a puncher. And Mayweather never put himself in a truly risky situation for the most part. He would fight at his home base, the MGM in Las Vegas, where Mayweather lived in Las Vegas, there wouldn't really be the risk-taking that you would want to see. Even his last fight to go 50-0, and 0, who did he fight? Conor McGregor, a guy who never had a professional boxing match? I mean, that doesn't quite do it for me. Listen, Mayweather is an all-time great. You know, he's great during his era, but at his absolute peak, he's not quite as good as Roy Jones, and even even guys... His weight division around welterweight. I don't think he beats Sugar Ray Leonard or Tommy Hearns.
1: So, uh, Roy Jones was a great fighter during that peak. Well, I know Doc's going to agree with you, and, it, and I would too under normal circumstances, but since this is a debate show and we're not going to agree with every, everybody, I got to be devil's advocate here. So, Roy Jones was a great fighter, and I think overall, definitely a, a bigger risk-taker, fought tougher opponents. But Mayweather in his prime, he's undefeated for his career. He was undefeated in his prime too. Now, maybe he chose opponents like everybody else does, Jack, and you know that. Everybody chooses their opponents uh, to get the best matchup, but he was still undefeated during his prime. So will, will, will we ever know how great he is? Probably not because he didn't fight the best opponent's at that time that he should have right. He should have. He was so worried about his undefeated record and thought that maybe that would be his legacy that he didn't take a chance and have great fights and even lose them. Christ, uh, Muhammad Ali, George, George uh Foreman. Uh, I mean, you could go on and on in some of the greatest fighters of all time, Marvin Hagler, uh Sugar Ray Leonard, they were undefeated, but they had signature matches. And you look at Mayweather, he doesn't have those. But you can't take away from him in his prime, he was still undefeated. So it's hard to match him up, and if to, to be the person that takes the other side, I will say that even though he didn't fight uh, an opponent that maybe could have beat him, and there was a couple that might have been able to, maybe the La Jolla, maybe even though he wasn't in his prime at the time, or whatever, he could have beat Mayweather, possibly, right? yeah La Jolla was
2: past his prime, and what he came
1: close. That's what, that's what I'm saying. But yeah. he still beat him, right? And he, we've heard of other fighters coming back out of their prime, a la George Foreman, uh, and and a couple of other fighters. Even though they came back out of their prime, they still beat the the uh, the champion. Then that didn't happen with Mayweather. So, just to play devil's advocate, I would agree with you and Doc, that probably Roy Jones Jr. was the best in his prime because he took more chances. He fought more solid competition. But you can't take away from Mayweather. In his prime, he still was undefeated, Jack. Can I just say one thing? In all fairness, Jones didn't take all the risks that he could
2: have taken either because what had happened, Roy Jones became very paranoid. By nature, he was a little paranoid, and I don't mean it in a bad way. I should use the word suspicious of things. In the 1988 Olympics, in the gold medal match, he clearly beat the fighter from South Korea. It, it wasn't even close, and it was a complete travesty that they gave the decision to the South Korean. And one of the judges that scored for the South Korean that made it three-two favor said he thought Jones won so easily. He didn't want the host boxer, because the games were in South Korea, to be humiliated by being shut out so he gave the decision to him over Jones because he didn't want the South Korean to be humiliated not knowing that would make the South Korean the winner and it was such a travesty that Jones was voted the outstanding boxer the 1988 Olympic Games even though he only won technically a silver medal so that made Jones paranoid to ever go overseas to take big fights he always was suspicious and and he had a he had a comfort zone as well because of what had happened to him.
1: Well, he, I, I I imagine Doc, you're agreeing with Jack. Yes, I'm going to agree with Jack. Jack,
3: you are the boxing expert, of course, a Hall of Fame writer. So, you know, I think a lot of the argument for Floyd Mayweather is the fact that he was undefeated. But I'd love for you to tell us just a little about the Montel Griffin fight with Roy Jones, where he got disqualified. Um, which really was his only loss through his first 50 fights.
2: Actually, that was a tough fight for Roy Jones, the toughest fight of his career To to that point. Montel Griffin started very fast, and he looked like he was on his way to a genuine upset. And then by the middle rounds, Jones started taking control little by little, And by the time they got to the ninth round, I believe that's when the disqualification took place. Jones had softened him up. He pulled ahead and he was on his way to victory in a very hard fought fight. He knocked Griffin down, would have stopped him. He hit him when he was down. To me, it wasn't flagrant enough for any type of disqualification, not at all, because Griffin faked it. It was the equivalent of these basketball players flopping over, you know, some contact and they go flying backwards. And they disqualified Jones. You, you make a good point with that fight, Doc. So that that fight on top of the Olympics made Jones, you know, super, you know, sensitive to take risks, to go anywhere. When he had a chance to fight this fight in Germany, very good, good fighter, Dar- Darius M- M- Mikoljewski who would have represented a threat to some people. uh, Jones didn't go to Germany. He just didn't want to know from it. He didn't want to go to England to fight Joe Calzaghe there because he was suspicious what they would do to him. Eventually, he fought Calzaghe, but he was way past his prime, and that was at Madison Square Garden. But the Griffin fight was a tough fight. But then when they had the rematch... Yeah, he. Uh, I pardon my language, but that was hell to pay for Griffin in the rematch in Connecticut. Jones was on a destroy mission from the opening bell. He just absolutely annihilated Griffin in one round. I mean, that in was Lewis Smelling, the Lewis Smelling rematch equivalent.
3: Correct. And so, so if he gets that decision, he really is fifty and zero as well. He was forty nine and yeah. one. Yeah. So So I, I think the idea that uh, Mayweather was better because he was 50 and 0, um, it, it, it's, it's somewhat tainted because uh, Roy Jones lost a fight that he was basically going to win. But the other thing that puts it in Roy Jones's favor, of course, is everything in real life boxing somehow turns into a connection to imaginary boxing if it can in some way shape or form. And Roy Jones for Antonio Tarver. And Antonio Tarver was, of course, Mason the Line Dixon in the movie Rocky Balboa. (laughs) And Roy Jones beat Mason the Line Dixon. Dixon came back and beat Roy Jones, calling himself Antonio Tarver in real life. Um, But if Roy Jones could beat Mason the Line Dixon, and Mason the Line Dixon almost didn't beat Rocky Balboa, a well past his prime Rocky Balboa you have to say that Roy Jones was the better fighter. And of course Roy Jones did make it all the way up from what light middleweight to heavyweight champion. And I think he, right. Um, light middleweight. Yeah. He
2: beat John Ruiz eventually the heavyweight title. Correct. So uh, I think he's the I've only guy to do that. or Only the second guy to do
3: that. So that's, yeah. a, that's in his favor too, but he beat Antonio Tarver who could barely beat an out of shape, aging uh, Rocky Balboa. So Jones is better. Mayweather never fought anybody that fought Balboa.
2: You gave me an, you gave me an idea, Doc, if Mac approves it. Maybe a question. Greatest comeback in sports history. Would Balboa be eligible, Mac? <laughs> by, you know the Mason Dixon fight. Greatest, so, that was a phenomenal so, comeback by so Balboa. Since,
1: since we heard the imaginary argument from Doc and a, <laughs> and a story from Jack about the life of Roy Joe Jr. That really had nothing to do with who would be the best in their prime. Um, I'm I I I still think that if you want to play devil's advocate, um that in this prime, uh you know, Mayweather was still undefeated. So guys, I mean, guys, there's
2: a thing called peak value. Let's compare for one second Mickey Mantle and Willie Mays. Willie Mays had the better career, but at the know. absolute zenith, zenith you can make the argument that Mickey Mantle was greater. You can make a very fair argument on that. If you take Mantle's best
3: seasons and you compare them against Willie Mays' best seasons and you lose things like peak value or war, Mantle comes out on top, yes.
1: And you could also argue that Willie Mays at peak value was better than Mickey Mantle too, with with without war. So I mean, I mean, you could make a fair argument with that too. So you can again, but, but but I think it's a good debate. It's a, it, it is. What Jack is saying
3: is is at peak value He's, was Roy Jones better than Floyd Mayweather? Yeah, and I'm going to say he was
1: right. Yeah. and I would and I would normally say yes too, but again, this is a debate show. So if we all agree, we're not debating anything. <laughs> so, yes, let's push on to uh, now. This is a this is a question that. I don't even understand uh, how we can compare it. But we're going to do it anyway. So, what is the greater accomplishment? Roger Clements winning seven Cy Young awards, or Tom Brady, uh, you know, with seven Super Bowls being a starting quarterback? I know two of you are going with Brady, so I'll let you go first. Doc. Yeah, I, it's it's. I don't even think it's comparable. An individual uh,
3: stat is is uh, interesting. Roger Clemens won a lot of Cy Young awards. That meant he was the best pitcher uh, in a, in a time period or over a long time period, but those teams didn't necessarily all win when he won most of those Cy Young awards. I think only one of them was uh, was with the Yankees where he was able to win a world championship to be able to win the world championship is obviously the thing that everybody looks forward to in sports. And there's very few people in, a, in any sport that are leaders, like a quarterback is, who has to take a team on their back and, and, and help lead them to a championship. Now, I understand the argument that a football team is more than just a quarterback. That's true. And I understand that Brady always had a lot of great supporting people around him and great defenses on the other side of the ball. And that's true. But Tom Brady has done something that nobody else has ever done. Uh, With with seven Super Bowls, I don't know if there's a player in sport who has so much of a leadership role, like a starting quarterback who's ever been able to win as much and as often as Tom Brady. Maybe maybe you go like um, uh, Bill Russell in, in basketball, but besides him, I don't think there's too many other people like that. You know, Roger Clemens won those awards. He's a great pitcher. But I I don't think the comparison between winning it all as a quarterback and winning an individual award as a baseball pitcher who pitches only once every five days, he's not playing every game, is even comparable. So I I think hands down, unequivocally, even though he never fought Rocky Balboa, the winner is Tom Brady.
1: Well, Doc, thank you for making my argument for me. (laughs) Um, Listen. You can't compare a pitcher to a quarterback. There's no comparison. Pitcher's an individual, as you said. A quarterback is part of a team. Tom Brady did not win seven Super Bowls. The New England Patriots and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers won won one and the New England Patriots won six. Uh, Tom Brady, without a kicker uh, a couple years, wouldn't have been in the Super Bowl. Tom Brady, without a great defense, a couple years would not have been in a Super Bowl. So there's no comparison between a team accomplishment and a single accomplishment. Roger Clemens, as we see with Jacob deGrom, you can win a uh, a Cy Young award without your team winning. That's how individual this is. So for you to say that Tom Brady's accomplishment is greater than Roger Clements. Makes no sense at all. Now, if you were going to say, if you were going to compare the Yankee team, say, to the New England Patriots or the Boston Celtics team to the New England Patriots, that's a fair argument. That's a fair, or if you wanted to call MVPs, that might be a fair argument because it's a single award. But when you're talking about a team sport that relies on a pitcher. To pitch a no-hitter, you know, when you pitch a no-hitter, you or you throw the ball. It's normally because you are striking out or causing the batters to hit the ball where they don't want to hit the ball, and you need a little defense. In football, you need a hundred things to happen to win a world to win a a Super Bowl, a hundred. And we're not talking about during the year. We're talking about specific achievements here. So. Tom, even though quarterback is a big part of the offense, which is a third of the team, it's a huge part of the offense, it's not the only thing. Tom Brady does not block. Tom Brady does not catch the football. Tom Brady does not run with the football all the time. Once in a great while, I'll take off if he has to. But he he's not required to do that. If he was, he would not win a Super Bowl. All right, there, so, so the uh, the
3: argument there, I, I, I come back against that is, is Roger Clemens doesn't hit the ball. Roger
1: Clemens doesn't score the runs. And but we're not talking Roger, about that. We're not. We're talking about an award, Doc. You're talking about right, a team. Right, but when Roger Clemens award, won the awards, award, it listen,
3: was all based upon basically about somebody's win-loss record. I mean, no, DeGrom no, that, it, but, Jacob
1: yes. DeGrom won it. Jacob DeGrom But that's, was that's more recent. That's, that's more recent. But, that's when, the way, when, but listen, the award is not for the team, Doc. It doesn't matter what the offense does. or No, it or what does. The, no, I'll, it I'll argue that it does. I'll, I'll argue it doesn't. Because if it's nothing to nothing and, and and it ends in a tie, you still have that chance to get the MVP. If football, if they allowed it to end in a tie, it, which they don't in the Super Bowl, see, this that's the difference, Doc. You can't – Roger Clemens does not field no, he doesn't. That's the only thing you can say. He can't say he doesn't hit the ball. That's nothing to do with the Cy Young Award. You're saying the greatest pitcher versus the greatest quarterback, which is a foolish argument. And I try to tell you guys that all the time. It's a foolish argument. You can't argue a single achievement against a team achievement. Now, if you wanted to say Tom Brady is MVP awards, if he has a bunch, and compare him to a baseball MVP award or a basketball, that's fine. That's a fair argument. You can argue that. But you can't argue a team accomplishment compared to a single accomplishment. That's impossible. It's not even, it's not even an argument. It doesn't make sense. That's all I got to say. What do you think, Jack? All right. So
3: let let me just, let me just refute that uh, because Roger Clemens won his Cy Young awards because his teams won a lot of games. When Roger Clemens was winning Cy Young awards, one of the biggest factors in winning the award that's changed because the grab won it uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, when Felix Hernandez won a Cy Young Award a couple of years ago, they didn't look at win loss record. But when Roger Clemens was in his prime and winning, for the most part, uh, the, the writers, the voters looked at wins. 1987, there was a pitcher, a legendary pitcher, who led the league in strikeouts with 270 he pitched 211.2 innings he led the league in era at 2.76 he was a beast he was a legend he's one of the great pitchers of all time but his win loss record was only eight and 16 and he didn't get the cy young award because he only won eight games that pitcher's name was nolan ryan if Nolan Ryan had gone 16-8 and because his team had scored more runs for him, he probably would have been the Cy Young Award winner. But when they looked at the record, 8-16, and 16, they said, he can't win the Cy Young Award, even though he led the league
1: in strikeouts in ERA. Well, so you're, you're, I'm, I'm going to argue that Clemens wouldn't have won those a,
3: awards if his teams didn't score enough runs for him to win 20 you're games. You're saying
1: probably docked That's not a good argument. Probably is is maybe not, maybe so. The thing I'm saying is Randy Johnson – on his own merit, went up against Roger Clement, The voters decided Clement for whatever reason. It could have been a win or a loss. It could that could have hedged it out. All I'm saying is you're comparing the argument still is you're comparing a single achievement against a team achievement, and that's no compare. There's no comparison there. There's no comparison because you're talking about a single person pitching that well to get Cy, Cy Young awards. It's always because- a
2: team thing, Mac. If a guy pitches a perfect game. It's a team effort. The guys, some, someone usually makes a nice catch. Usually, the calls the game usually. from behind the plate. It's you know the pitcher gets the individual accolades, but it really is a team achievement. And listen, when you see Roger Clemens and Tom Brady both warming up before the game, we see we've seen Clemens in the outfield late in his career throwing a football a lot of a lot of the time. You never see
1: Brady throwing a baseball in his warm ups. No, that has nothing to do with anything, Jack. I'm just saying, you, you, if you were going to, uh, Jack, if you were going to compare MVPs, a single award, I would, go, I would say the argument makes sense. But you're talking two different types of awards here. I, I, I understand what you're
3: saying, but I'm saying that you can't win a Cy Young Award except for a few very rare occasions if your team doesn't score enough runs. The year that Nolan Ryan led the league in ERA, he was 8-16. and 16. The winner of the Cy Young Award was uh, Steve Bedrosian. Nolan Ryan was fifth, even though he had the superior season. The reason he didn't win the signing award was because as a starting pitcher, he only went eight and 16. The starting well, pitcher who got the most votes was Rick Sutcliffe because he was 18 and 10 they, well, well, because I, they based I, it on team wins. So, I don't know if, so I Brady don't know wins why, because of know, his team, know, but, side, Bobby, but Roger that, Clemens no, wins no,
1: because not, of his team. No, because no, Dak, there's still no. I mean, you could say the MVPs that were won on losing teams. You could go Alex Rodriguez. You can go to Ernie Banks that were on losing teams that won the MVP. That's Last different. Place
2: teams, yeah. That's different
1: because it's a single award. It, these, these awards have nothing to do with each other, is what I'm saying, Doc. These so we're trying to the question. Matt, the way you're putting it,
2: why are we even posing the question? You're the one that posed the you're question,
1: like, Matt. You're, you're the one that posed the question. You have right. You're, well because fast, because right? i because
2: I, I eliminated mac i, 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 I want to try it reading. i want to try it, I it up sh- and said, this question is not viable we're not going to use it but you okay can- if you signed off on it you want to negotiate a contract after the deal was made Right, you're the, type, you're the type of guy who says you stick with the contract, you stick with the deal made, and now you're trying to back out of this.
1: I'm trying to, I'm trying to teach you to something about <laughs> baseball as opposed to football. They're two different sports. They're almost impossible to compare. If you want to compare baseball to basketball, that's a better comparison because there are single players that make a huge difference on those two two sports.
2: Mac, but want, Mac, I could if,
1: say there's a difference between hitters and
2: pitchers not to make a comparison. I yeah. mean, we're just saying, well, what's could, a great, we're talking about achievement. Well, that's what not a, I understand.
1: Achievement. But there's but there's not an achievement there, Jack, a single achievement that Tom Brady, you can hang his hat on. His achievement would be he's the greatest quarterback stats-wise, uh, wins and losses. Yes. That's okay. So who's, who's better in wins? We could – debate that as many wins a uh, 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 Bill Russell or a Tom Brady because that's a single achievement but when you're talking about when you're talking about a single award based up against a team award that's almost impossible to compare it's almost impossible because again Tom Brady does not block on offense does not block does not catch the football does not run with the football that's just on offense without what he had there, he wouldn't have gone to the Super Bowl. It's that simple. So I, I, this is what drives me
2: crazy. You know, you keep uh, saying Tom Brady wouldn't have done this or that. You always I, seem to mention that about Tom Brady. There, Yet how come no other quarterback, at least in, since Otto Graham, if we want to go back into the dark ages, right. and no other quarterback since then, or no quarterback in the Super Bowl era, has come close to accomplishing what he's
1: accomplished. What who's accomplished?
2: Tom Brady. Well, it's listen, always his. Joe, teams, listen. His Joe Montana, you but could say
1: Joe Montana was pretty equal to Tom Brady. If Joe Montana stayed on the on the San Francisco 49ers for a couple more years, he might have a couple more Super Bowls, too. That's the that you could debate that. But that just because he was on a great team for that many for, for 20 years. 20 years, Jack, he was on a great team that was always in the mix. You can't say that was because of Tom Brady. You can say he was a part of it. Tom Brady goes to Tampa Bay. They were 7-9 and nine the year before. Right, right, right. He changed
2: the culture. It wasn't
1: oh my, just the quarterback. I'm he not, changed the culture.
2: I, he made I'm it an you great achievement.
1: Listen, you tra- you, you're, taking, you're taking what I'm saying different. I'm not saying Tom Brady is not a great quarterback. He's a great leader. He's one of the greatest of all time. There's no doubt. There's no doubt in my mind about that. I'm not putting Tom Brady down, by any means. He's a great quarterback. But football is a is a is a team dependent sport, and you can't you can't deny that. Where <laughs> baseball where baseball a Cy Young award winner, as the grandma showed us, and Doc. It makes a great point. Some pitchers should have won it, didn't win. And I, I agree with that. But it's a more of a single uh, uh, award. It's singling out the pitcher. So that's what that award is. And what you're saying about Tom Brady, if you want to say Super Bowl MVP. If how you want about so- what is
2: more impressive? How about altering the question, how it sounds? What is more impressive to you? Uh, Clemens seven Cy uh, Young Awards Brady seven Super Bowls. See, again, uh, you're
1: going you're going team a Starting quarterback on seven Super Bowl teams. You're, you're you're going team wise again, Jack. And I can't I can't I can't I can't say Brady's better than Clements on that. I can't say that because he he needed the team around him to do that. And we're just talking about offense. I'm not even going to to Adam Vinatieri who won a couple Super Bowls and championships. If you want to say who was, I mean who was really at the end who won the games for the Patriots, it wasn't Brady. It was it was Adam Veneterry if you want to be honest? So I mean, I, I mean, I, I I'm not taking away from Brady's greatness. Everybody thinks I am. I'm not. I'm just saying that's a bad comparison when you're comparing an accomplishment of a team to an accomplishment of a person. That's a hard comparison to make and to win when you're when you're talking we can't about
2: compare it. basketball players. We were comparing on yesterday's show. Uh, Steph Curry to some former NBA great players. And current. we were talking a little bit about it. Uh, Steph Curry plays a team game in basketball. I mean, he was just the NBA Finals MVP. He couldn't have done it without his teammates. It's a team game. He's on a great Golden State Warrior team. But you could say,
1: Jack, you could say without Steph Curry... Would they have gone to the playoffs or would they have won the, the championship? You can say that and make an argument that they might not have. You can make an argument with that because it is he is that important. And with five guys, he is that important to that team. So you could make that argument, right?
2: Yeah. Well, you can of course you can make that argument. So I guess summing up Clemens and Brady, we no need to get to my answer because we basically in the middle eliminated the question in the middle. No, it got not, thrown out. Okay, I, 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 I'm I leave it alone.
3: I'm not eliminating. Let me, let me it. throw. Let me throw a stat at you here. Two thousand one, Roger Clemens went twenty and three. Twenty and three. Everybody said, "Oh my goodness, he's the Cy Young Award winner." He got 21 first place votes. There was another guy who actually had a better season who went 17 and 11. If you look at war, and I know it's a flawed statistic and nothing's perfect, but you look at war, this guy's war was 7.1. Clemens was only 5.7. There was another guy who went 17 and 11. He had a better ERA. Clemens was 3.51. This guy's ERA was 3.15. He pitched more games by one. He pitched more innings, et cetera, et cetera. That guy got no first place votes. That guy ended up fifth place in the Cy Young voting. The reason was that guy who came in fifth in the Cy Young voting had a 17 and 11 record because his team didn't score runs for him like they did for Roger Clemens. But it was the same team as the 2001 Yankees. The best pitcher in 2001 wasn't Roger Clemens. He got the award because he had an impressive win-loss record because the Yankees scored a lot more runs for him. But the better pitcher that year was Mike Messina, who didn't get the award. Why didn't he get the award? Because his record didn't look as impressive because he lost 11 games. He lost 11 games because the Yankees just didn't score runs for him because his team didn't score. Messina had no – no. he was a better pitcher. He was the better guy on the mound, but he didn't win the award because the guys and the part of the game he had no control over the scoring didn't score when he pitched.
2: That's yeah, why Clemens think. won because his well, team
3: scored when he pitched. That's was a, a team
2: argument making, yeah. That's another the, argument to be the made. The team
1: won the award for Clemens. Okay. Yes, ah, but, I, I, I still think I still think the stats you put up for Clemens was pretty good too. Go ahead. As a team, uh, I
2: just want to say one thing. If I had to answer the question, I would use this narrative. Brady's seven Super Bowl wins uh takes into account the whole NFL. Clemens saw Young Award win, wins take into account the league because they're two Saw Young Award winners in baseball. And the question I'd like to ask. This is revisionist thinking. I didn't look it up. I don't remember who won the Cy Youngs in the other leagues. I don't remember that off the top of my head. But if we were to have fun with this and go back and look to see who are the other Cy Young Award winners in the other league, uh, would Clemens have won it if only one pitcher could win it in all of baseball? And not just going on the wall. Who we think they would have voted for? All right, that so, we, that's a great
3: question. Uh, I'll just give you the answer here.
1: Well, well, in 2001, well, cuz hey, it's a, hey doc, in, doc, let's let's yeah. debate that. Let's use that question. Let's debate that. I think that's a great question. Let's let's debate that. Put it put it aside and maybe next week we'll debate that who was the best out of the Cy Youngs? Who who would have been the, the Major League Baseball Cy Young? winner that year what Clemens definitely.
2: 7 saw young awards that's what it's going to be narrowed yeah down that with.
1: would that would be great that would be I think that's a great question
2: uh, uh, and what well, we and we wouldn't let Ward decide it because the, we use what was the mentality at the time how we, we could, think they would have voted but could, today
1: but Doc can use war and, and and his argument today oh, oh
2: absolutely and I'm looking forward to it I'm not I'm gonna wait to see what Doc comes up with and then you, you know off the top of my head, because one loss records was so vital during that. It time. sure was, sure it was.
1: Okay. So, folks, this was a long, this is a long debate here. I like this. This was great. So we're gonna take our uh our first break for today. On the back on the other side, we're gonna discuss if Jerry Voto is a Hall Jerry Votto. Yeah. Is Jerry Votto or Voto? Vado you sure it's Vado? You
2: positive? No, I'm not sure of anything now with my <laughs> Being from Brooklyn, Votto. I mispronounce words all the time. <laughs> you have me doubting myself, by Pete. Being- so anyway. Joey Vado. We'll
1: be- Joey Vado. Okay, good. So that's what we're going to go with. We'll be right back after these messages, folks. Okay, hey, man.
0: You worked too hard, you ate too much, the cheesecake made you greedy. Let your aching head and stomach hear this message from Old Speedy. Alka-Seltzer, plop, plop, fizz, fizz. Oh, what a relief it is. Plop, plop, fizz,
2: fizz. Oh, what a relief it is. Those speedy bubbles relieve your upset stomach and headache fast. For acid indigestion alone, Alka-Seltzer gold. Oh, what
0: a relief it is. What a relief. If you served honorably in our nation's armed forces and you're looking for a way to continue serving your fellow veterans in your community, then join AMVETS Yes! Wow, Tony, they're tough. You're next. Don't no worry, Ace. We need practice. But first, let's start with a complete breakfast, including my Kellogg's Frosted Flakes. It helps bring up the tiger in you. I hope your serve is good. Good serve? Like this this serve is good. great! So <laughs> you're a tiger! Show him what you can do! All food. yours, tiger! You <laughs> cool want taste the Kellogg's Frosted Flakes! Come <laughs> oh, yeah, here, you can hear exactly what I And you... Hi grandma, what's for dinner? Hey honey, I'm making stew tonight. Ooh, can Nina come over? I'm not sure about our new friend. I wonder if there's been any drinking going on. Alcohol at her age can lead to so many bad things. I've been meaning to ask you, what would happen if someone offered you a drink? Grandma? This is hard, she's so young, but I know I need to talk to her about it now before someone tries to give her alcohol. If anyone ever does offer you a drink, I want you to say no. I have too much respect for my family and I don't wanna get in trouble. I'm Chiquita Banana, and I'm here to say, I am the top banana in the world today. Now you know the best, bananas in the land. So don't slip by with an inferior brand. When it says Chiquita, it's a very good day to buy bananas. If you talk and they will hear you Every single time Oh, we're getting killed. Yeah, well, Kyle's not here. How come? Kicked off the team. Didn't Tim tell you? Kyle's mother other kids got caught drinking beer in the park a couple of nights ago. Really? Yeah. Zero tolerance. He's out for the season. Come on, it's a first offense, right? That we know of. But why should that matter? He knew not to drink. I've made it clear to Matt. That's what we expect from him. What have you said to Tim? Um, nothing really. You know, a lot of kids try at this age, so. Yeah, well, a lot of kids don't try it, too. I'm not saying that Matt's going to be this perfect kid, but if I don't tell him what we expect and why he shouldn't drink, how's he going to know? You think kids that age really listen? <laughs> they never admit it, Bill, but they hear more than you think. Talk. They hear you. For more information about talking with kids about underage drinking, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. <laughs>
1: This is a presentation of Northeast Streaming Sports. Good morning. You're listening to the Mac and Jack Sports Show on Northeast Streaming Sports. Good morning everyone and welcome back to uh, the mac and jack sports debate show we're live every saturday 8 to 10 a.m uh with our guest host the world famous now i mean he's 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 just becoming more fameful, if that's a word every day dr paul semendinger as i mentioned an award-winning book again uh you know uh Scattering the ashes won a, won an award. This one has won an award. He's just racking them up over there, Doc. You're doing a heck of a job there. So uh, very very excited, uh, Jack again. Uh, he will be. Doc is racking
2: up stats. Is he? What's he doing at Peak Value? That's what I'm. <laughs> saying. This it's
1: is fun. Peak Value, baby.
2: This
1: <laughs> is a long long career. I hope uh, Jack, will be, Jack will be live at. The light heavyweight championship title match between Arter Beterbiev and Joe Smith Jr. We'll be having a watch along later on, me and uh, me and Lee Grove, So join us for that. Um, but Jack will be writing for boxing boxing news, which he's been with for a long time, and uh, you know I know he'll do a great job there. So uh, stay tuned, folks. We're, we're 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 moving things around here on Northeast Streaming Sports, trying to give you the best. Entertainment we can. Uh, Jack is also the host of Glove Fist, the co-host I should say with Frank Lotierzo, senior boxing analyst. Uh, they have a great show. Uh, they're killing it every week on YouTube and Roku. And Dr. Paul Semendinger's right behind them. Uh, Start spreading the news. Along with E.J. Fagan, and they're always in the mix. In fact, they were number one for a while. They kind of trade off with uh, glove Fist right now. So it's great competition going on over there. They're at nine, at 9 p.m. Eastern, so every Monday night you can catch them. So two great shows back-to-back on Monday night. Uh, check them out if you can uh, and and enjoy the shows. Great shows, both of you guys. So let's get back to the uh, the debates here. We got Jerry. It's Votto. I was uh, corrected.
3: Yeah, Joey, Joey Votto.
1: Joey Votto—he sounds like he's from Brooklyn. Hey, I'm Joey Votto. How you doing? But really, he's from Canada, if I'm not mistaken, right? In, uh, and and uh, he's he's really done a great job while he's been playing here. And and let's let's go let's go with Jack first on this because Jack is very uh, very sure of his answer. I don't know if Doc and I am. So Jack, give us why Jerry Votto is a Hall of Famer.
2: No, I'm looking at baseball stats now. After thinking to myself, I don't want to look at Joey Votto's stats, because I I hold firm that, yes, he should be a Hall of Famer when he retires. He still has, I believe, three years left on his contract. And he's very close now, so the little more he's going to do should push him over the top. But some people are going to point to hardcore stats and say, well, he comes a little short. I'm looking, he has 336 homers now, which puts him within range. You would like him to get up to 400 or so before it's done. He might not. He has close to 1,100 RBIs now. When all is said and done in his career, he's probably going to have around 1,300 RBIs approximately. And if you think of it, that would be 13 seasons of 100 RBIs. I mean, he's played 16 seasons. I mean, he's struggling a bit this season. He's only hitting 205 and not really producing. And the whole Cincinnati Red team isn't. And I think he's like 38 years or so. But Joey up to me, yeah, he's a Hall of Famer. If, if you ignore hardcore stats, he's been with a small market team forever. A Cincinnati Red team that hasn't been very good on balance. And he has been the one shining light. He's to the Cincinnati Reds now what Ernie Banks was basically to the Chicago Cubs during their losing years. When Ernie Banks was really a great, great player, who are we talking about? Hank Aaron, Willie Mays, Mickey Mantle. Well, had Ernie Banks been in an opposite role, had he been on the Yankees, had he been a big winner, And Mickey Mantle had been playing for the Chicago Cubs. We would be talking about them in, like, different ways. And Joey Votto, solid, uh, you know, really good, good fielder, good leader of the team, Never's complained. Has always been happy to be a Cincinnati Red. Hasn't made demands, has slipped under the radar very quietly. Most underrated player, I think, of his era. And you look at the amount of times he's walked through. We start appreciating walks now more in this era, guys getting on base. But when Joey Votto was walking, it wasn't looked at the same way. One year he walked 110 times, another year 135, another time 143, then 134, a couple other seasons, 108 walks per season. He got on base. The guy did it all. He was, he was the best Cincinnati Red player you can argue since uh, the era of the big red machine. I don't know whether I count Ken Griffey in there because he was at his best. Yeah, Barry Larkin. Uh, Barry Larkin, yeah, yeah, okay, but he's in the Barry Larkin category with a different position. But uh, to me, he's a Hall of Famer. But I understand if you say he's not, you're gonna have you're gonna point to the stats and say, well. He comes a little short. Look at this guy. If you put Vado in, you then got to put another guy in. I think the situation's different. He's been a career Cincinnati Red. He's done it all with one team. He's been Mr. Stability. I think I I would vote for him to get in when the time comes. Good argument. If I had it,
1: think- a- what do you think? That good argument, Jack.
3: Yeah, it's it's a solid argument, and I think Joey Votto is going to go into the Hall of Fame. I I I don't think he's not. I don't think he overwhelms people though with his with his uh, with his career. Now I'm usually the guy that goes to you know war and all that kind of stuff as my argument for anything. And if you look at war or jaws, let me just change it to war real fast. Joey Votto is the 14th greatest first baseman in history. The, the only first basemen that are better than him, um, by war who aren't in the hall of fame are all probably going to go into the hall of fame or are unqualified because of steroids. Albert Pujols is ahead of him. He's going in. Rafael Palmeiro is ahead of him. He's probably not going in. And Miguel Cabrera is ahead of him and he will go in. He's still playing. And obviously Albert Pujols is still playing. Um, it's just – so he's going to go in. There's no doubt about it. He, he's he got the numbers. His, his war over lifetime is 64.5. The thing about Votto, though, is there's also a statistic on baseball reference was- called similarity scores. When you look at the guys he's most similar to in his career – Derek Lee, Lance Berkman, Adrian Gonzalez, Will Clark, Matt Holiday, Moises Alou, Sean Green, Brian Giles, Ryan Braun. None of those guys are really ever going to be in the Hall of Fame. Um, the only guy on that list, Edgar Martinez, who's a Hall of Famer is him. Votto had a guy, was a guy who walked a lot. Um, he was a home run hitter, but he never led the league in home runs. He was an RBI guy, but he never led the league in RBIs. Um, he had a great batting average in his peak. We were talking peak value before, but like Roy Jones hung on and is hanging on so long. That is like Mickey Mantle too. His batting average has dropped now under 300 for his career. He stands at 299. I don't think he has a chance to get it back over 300. He hasn't hit 300 since 2017. So yeah, was he a great player for a period of time? Yes. Will he go in the hall of fame? Yes. Is his overall body of work somewhat underwhelming? Is does, does, does the stats make his career seem better than it was? A lot of it because of all the walks and the on-base percentage, which uh, makes his war seem higher or makes his war legitimately higher? Yes. So is he going in the Hall of Fame? Yes. Is he a strong, super-duper strong candidate because he was so super terrific? I don't think so. I think there are times when the statistics overinflate a career, and I think Joey Votto is an example of that.
1: Another great argument. I, I mean, the only thing I could add to that is, and Jacks mentioned it: who is not in the Hall of Fame that had better stats right now than Joey Votto, and and shouldn't they get in first? The problem with the Hall of Fame guys is that people vote, and we don't know who they are or why they're voting the way they're voting. It's it's that's the biggest problem I think with the uh, Baseball Hall of Fame. I mean, I've heard other sports. Say they come out, yeah. I vote. I, I'm a Hall of Fame football, football Hall of Fame voter. Let's just say it. I mean, they, they're proud of it. Where here it's like it's 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 like hush hush, and 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 we got our own reasons for voting who we vote for, and that kind of bothers me. Vado, I think, is definitely a, a borderline Hall of Famer. I think he'll get into eventually, um, in his prime, especially. And some a lot of people will look at his prime, but as you say, the longer he holds on the lower statistics go and they'll look at that too. So, you know, maybe, maybe he should retire. <laughs> maybe that will be his best shot to get the all of Fame this year. I don't know. But anyway, uh, great debate, both sides. I mean, I could go, I could go either way uh, whether he goes in or has to wait or maybe never goes in. I don't know. But, uh, but to me, he's well-deserved. That's all I got to
2: say about Now, him. Mickey Mantle was always brutally honest. And he said the one Big regret he has in his career is hanging on, especially the last season and having his lifetime batting average dip on the 300 to 298. And he said, well, I can't go back and get it now. You got the feeling he would have played a year two more had he gotten, if he was able to get back to 300. But I think in this day and age, it's a little different. Vado, I think, has a contract that carries him through the 2024 season. I think he signed one of those 10-year deals long ago. And we see what those deals mean at the back end of the contracts nearly all the time. And you guys are right. I mean, what are the chances of him kind of rallying and getting his average to 300? It's possible, but it's highly unlikely.
1: Yeah. I mean, again, you know, another player that probably will get in eventually. But, um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, there's so many players that are on the uh, – let me ask you all a question. If you were voters in the Hall of Fame or you were on the Hall of Fame committee, wouldn't be the first thing you do is go back and look at the people that didn't get in for whatever reason and 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 check them out to see if maybe they're deserving to get in – Uh, Now, I mean, that's something I think the Hall of Fame committee should do on a regular uh, basis, not wait till it gets to the old timers. I think they should do that on a regular uh, basis. If this guy is up for the Hall of Fame, say, you know, four times or whatever the case may be, don't you think they should go back through uh, uh, the time and and check and see who's not in that maybe should be in right now? I want to find out who's voting. The one person who didn't vote for Derek Cheetah,
2: he should be held accountable. I mean, the names I think should be out there. You mean to tell me I'm going to a boxing show tonight, big fight. Let's say it goes to a decision. Imagine not announcing the judges' names. And they're not going to be accountable in any way, shape, or form. I want to know who didn't vote for Derek Jeter. I just want to know he shouldn't be voting. I mean, some things are obvious. Listen, I I was a member of the Las Vegas uh, Voting Hall of Fame committee for just... To Las Vegas, you know, uh, city. And we had one of the voters, at least internally, I got to see the other committee members vote. And I thought it was ridiculous that he should be thrown out. We had one voter uh, when we voted initially when they started that Hall of Fame who did not vote for Sugar Ray Robinson. Yeah. He voted for other guys. He didn't vote for Sugar Ray Robinson. And my argument was, what, why does this clown have a vote? This is right, ridiculous. And again, when there's a ballot, there's a democracy. We might disagree strongly, but we have to accept it. But there's also the area of common sense that we have to adhere to. I,
3: I think if you're going to make, if you're going to be a take on the responsibility of voting for something that's as important as a Hall of Fame, and I understand the idea that it's it's voluntary that you don't have to make your ballots. Um, Um, public, and some writers do and some writers don't every year uh, for the Baseball Hall of Fame. But I think if you're going to go out on a limb and you're going to be the guy who doesn't vote for a Sugar Ray Robinson, or you're going to be the guy who doesn't vote for a Tom Brady or Derek Jeter, somebody who is everybody acknowledges is an absolute Hall of Famer, I think you have the right or the responsibility. It's not a right. It's actually the responsibility to then tell everybody why you made your case that Derek Jeter doesn't belong in the Hall of Fame. Earlier, Jack, you mentioned that uh, one guy who didn't vote for Roy Jones Jr. His argument was a bad argument. I didn't want the uh, fighter from the home country not to get any votes. So I figured I'd throw some votes his way. Okay, that's a terrible argument. But at least he made it as an argument. You, you could say it's a dumb argument, yeah, but at least it, this is why I did it. The guy who didn't vote for Derek Jeter, whoever that was, not going out and explaining his vote for somebody who's an absolute clear hall of famer just makes the whole thing, um, less, um, trustworthy, like, uh, or, or, or uh, less transparent less, because, less valid. They, yeah, less, less valid. valid. That's the word. Because, why didn't you tell me why? Oh, and if your argument is, well, at the tail end of his career, he wasn't a great defensive shortstop or whatever. He's overrated. He was an average player. He only won because the Yankees won. All right, there's your argument. At least you made an argument. But to do it in silence and to be the only guy who didn't vote for him and
2: not ever give a reason, just it leaves a bad taste in your mouth. This goes back in time, guys, like Mariano Rivera being the first unanimous choice. You mean – People didn't vote for Babe Ruth to get in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Joe DiMaggio, Willie Mays, they're not Hall of Fame worthy. I mean, it, it's
1: – Yeah, any, any yeah, anybody that doesn't vote for for people that are – I mean, <laughs> you, there's no doubters. Anybody that doesn't vote for a Willie Mays or a Joe DiMaggio or a Lou Gehrig or, or whatever, you know, or, or, or a stand the man usual. I mean, if you don't vote for these guys, you shouldn't be voting. And that's that's plain and simple. You just shouldn't be voting. You should have your card taken away from you. Like I took Jack's, you know, fair card, Yankee fair card. That
2: fair. I understand. I mean, I made a prediction on the Yankees, but uh, yeah.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, it was a ridiculous. it was a ridiculous uh, argument that Jack made on the Yankees that they would finish.
2: It's not over yet. Like Yogi says, Quote right. Yankee, it ain't over till it's over.
1: That is true, Jack. And, uh, you know, but every week it just gets worse and worse for you. Yeah. So. Anyway, so it's not this week in sports, guys. I just threw that up there just to remind everybody tomorrow, this week in sports, meet Jack and Jim. Jeff fi- bring you the biggest, biggest updates in sports with some of the greatest guests. And guess what? We're up there challenging right now. Uh, start spreading the news in Glove fist too. So that's pretty exciting. That show's doing so well. So anyway, folks, uh, should we take a should we take a, a break or should we problem just with
2: Scott spreading the news? Let me say, if the Yankees win a dog fight and in first place. It would be more lively. They're making it look too easy, you know? And I think yeah, they're getting complacent with how easy yes. they're making it look as far as tuning in. You know what it well, is? We come
3: on at nine, and we if we came on at eight, we'd have a better yeah. chance. Because then we'd get the people who stick around after Jack's show, who's, yeah. who keeps beating us. Production Maybe wise. we should come on at six and we we, we, we could preempt Jack. I'm not sure. To see.
1: Production of that is impossible, Doc. I need some time to read. No, rest- I'm only kidding. I'm, I'm yeah, just joking. Because is- Jack's the king. Jack's the king. So I'm right, trying listen, to somehow. i lucky.
2: I mean, Mac might move me to the one in the
1: morning slot. So <laughs> Never, because you're, you're the king.
3: Me. I'm just kind right. of
1: trying to ride your coattails somehow. Yeah. No, listen, listen. They got a very exciting show. Uh, over there they, they 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 jump they they get into each other's stuff a lot it's very fun uh and so is so is doc and ej ej's a fun guy and doc is too so i mean don't don't worry about it doc as long as everybody's doing really well i'm happy as as all outdoors believe me so uh everybody's doing is up there uh scrapping right now j and b talking shop has now come back and they're back in the fray again which is great I mean, I love it. It's great for that.
3: This is great. That's what you want. You want a Fans network want that's thriving and great shows.
2: Doc, on your show, they want the juicy stuff. When the Jeter series comes out on ESPN, you have to talk about, on your show, the Jeter-A-Rod scenario, what went down between them. Fans like that gossip stuff. <laughs> uh,
1: listen to Jack even you point your stock. That's great. I love it. Well, they like, like to hear. It. That's what I like to hear, that yeah. stuff, too. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. So, folks since Jack took us to the point where I got to take a break now, which thank you, Jack, I wanted that. Uh, we'll be right back after these messages. We're going to come back and we're going to talk about who is really the face of the Mets. we got different opinions on that too, which is excellent. Because again, it wouldn't be a debate show if we didn't have uh, different opinions. It would be called an agreement show. So uh, <laughs> we'll be right back, folks, after these messages uh, with some more of the Mac and Jack debate show.
0: Done, this guy'll be ready to dig in get something mighty good to eat. Well, how do you handle a hungry man? The man handlers. One of the man handlers is Campbell's
3: vegetable beef. Gets a man-sized supper off to a good hot start.
0: Mmm, good. The man handlers. When you hear the word asthma, you probably think of shortness of breath, coughing, or inhalers. Lots of things can trigger asthma, but the fact is that asthma doesn't just attack, it can kill. But with proper medical management, asthma is controllable. If you experience shortness of breath, wheezing, tightness in your chest, or persistent nighttime coughing, you may have asthma. See your doctor and get the facts. You'll breathe easier. For more information, call 211 infoline A message from the Connecticut Department of Public Health. Keeping Connecticut healthy. Here comes the king. Here comes the big number one. Budweiser beer, the king is second to none. Just say Budweiser, you've said it all. Here comes the king of this so that's here, but, but why the fear's the one that's leading the rest? When you say, but every good aging makes it beer at it. When you say, but one takes the you so loud and clear. There's only one, but wiser fear when you say, but you said it all. We all make choices. When it comes to alcohol, kids make choices whether to drink or not. Bye, Dad. Bye-bye. Remember, I'm going to Alex's party tonight and sleeping over. Hey, Em, have a seat for a second. Remind me about that party again. And adults make choices whether to talk about it. That's true of parents and every other trusted adult in a kid's life. Kids want to know our expectations when it comes to alcohol and other drugs they want guidance and honest answers to their questions and it makes a difference when the message is consistent and part of everyday conversations so talk with your kids and help lead them on a positive path because when you talk they hear you for more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov
1: See right now, without LeBron, Lakers are, are struggling. <laughs> Let me tell you about a team I hate. All right, I know the Dallas Cowboy fan is here, so I had to make sure he knew how much I hate you. Oh, team. I'm ready. I've often said that the people who run baseball they try very hard to ruin it. I'm from
3: Brooklyn. I don't have a problem saying it to his face. Oh, from Brooklyn. Hey,
0: guess he.
1: foundation is excited to bring back the dream ride experience august 26th to the 28th at connecticut's farmington polo club join us in celebrating the accomplishments of our dream riders while enjoying live music a car and motorcycle show family fun zone pet adoptions canine demonstrations the fireman's
0: chili cook-off and much much more get your tickets today
1: back to the Mac and Jack Sports Debate Show. I'm your host, Mac, with your co-host, Jack Hirsch, and your other co-host, Dr. Paul Semeninger, here every Wednesday from 8 to 10 a.m. Uh, live on Roku, YouTube, and Facebook, and a lot of other places later on today, folks. So we're getting down to the last two topics. I hope to get some rapid fire in here, too, because i got some really interesting uh questions I want to ask these two and 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 to do it quickly which will be fun just to watch them try to do it and answer it quickly it's will be great but we're gonna we're gonna start right now with our next big topic is who right now is the face of the New York Mets and I'm gonna let Doc go first and I kind of there's one person that that that's in disagreement with the other two so we'll let Doc go first go ahead Doc And if your mic's side, you'll make a better argument. I guarantee you Doug. my mic's off too. Yeah, yeah, you
3: know what? I do that for the commercials.
1: Yes, um you what
3: what I what happens is if I have the mic off, whatever I say, nobody can hear me. So I'm never wrong. Right. So there there is that there is that uh, idea that I'll just keep it off the whole time and then everybody will just think I was right about everything. That's but anyway, right. I think the face of the Mets right now is Pete Alonso. I think the second place guy to be the face of the Mets is actually Francisco Lindor, because Lindor is going to be around for a long time. There's an argument to be made, maybe for Jacob deGrom. He's been a Met longer. Um, Last week, you know, we had the Yankee versus Met debate, and I mentioned how deGrom's been hurt a lot, and um, the point was made that he hasn't actually been as hurt and has missed as many games as it seems like he has. But he hasn't really been around this year. The Mets face of the franchise is going to really be the guy who's there as the Mets now ascend to greatness. And Pete Alonzo's been that guy. He, you know, he's won that home run thing a couple of years, the home run uh you know, the home run derby, which isn't a big deal, but it's a national thing and it helps bring you prominence. He led the league in home runs as a rookie with 53 in 2019. He's leading the league in home runs and RBIs this year. He is the reason the Mets are winning so much. It's, it's not Jacob DeGrom. And when you're looking at who's the face of the team, the face of the team has got to be the guy that people are looking at and they're looking and they're seeing the highlights of Pete Alonso. I still think Francisco Lindor is going to be a great Met. I think he gets better and better and he will continue to get better and better. So he could become the face of the franchise, but to make it quick and simple, because I'm really excited about that um, rapid fire that's coming up, I'm going to say it's Pete Alonso because he's an everyday player and he is playing and he's going to be the guy as the Mets get to the playoffs and hopefully go further that everybody looks at.
2: What do you think, Jack? Well, I mean, Francisco Lindor Doc is really ascending with his 242 batting average. He's getting better and, okay. better, and better on his 10-year contract at $31 million a year. I don't see him getting better. He was declining at Cleveland the last year before coming over to the Mets. Had a very subpar year last year. And it's been better this year than last year. He's been okay. He's been on balance okay this year. You could even say he's been maybe borderline good this year, but not for 31 million a year, not for superstar money. You know, if you're paying him uh, $11 million a year, you could say, Oh, we have a nice player there. Okay, but that's but who's the face of the Met franchise? And I'm glad you listened to the rules as far as show Walter went, because we know. You wanted to name him Doc, and you wouldn't have been wrong at this moment. Fuck is the face. I don't think that would last regardless, but we're talking about which player, okay? And we talked about Roy Jones before. He came out with a rap song after he lost by disqualifications. A couple of people were doubting him, and the rap song he had said, You Must Have Forgot, and that's what applies to Jacob DeGrom. You must have forgot, guys, how great he was. Jacob DeGrom is out right now, so he's on the inactive list. When he comes back, I'll venture to guess he's going to resume being the best player in baseball, the most dominant player. If I had to rate Pete Alonso amongst the great position players in baseball, he wouldn't rate in the top 10. I don't know exactly where he would rate, but he's not a face to the Mets franchise the way, let's say, Aaron Judge is to the Yankees. Not even close on that. Just the idea that Doc would have to mention Francisco Lindor as Alonso's vice president in waiting, I mean, tells you a little something. Alonso's wonderful. Met fans relate to him. Don't get me wrong. But when Jacob DeGrom is back, back to his dominant self, he's the guy everyone's focusing on. He's the guy who's been with the Mets longer. He's the guy who's always been a big crowd favorite with the Met fans. They love Jacob deGrom. And my feeling is when he's back, there are going to be more Jacob deGrom jerseys being sold than Alonzo ones. Maybe in time, Alonzo is going to be the face of the Mets. Maybe he's going to be it next year. Maybe deGrom leaves at the end of the year. And maybe Alonzo takes over. I'm not talking about the future. I'm talking about as soon as deGrom comes back, He's the, fo- the focal point of the Met team, it, meaning all eyes on him more than any other Met player. So he would be my pick.
1: I totally disagree with you, Jack. I think Alonzo is definitely in the face of the Mets. Degrom is not not even there. And, and 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 when you look at Degrom, Degrom is great when he's healthy, and that last year didn't work out too well for him. And he's he's great when he's when he's at his best but his shoulder always seems to be hurting him and his he's got a slight pull in his back and and they take him and they sit him down because they don't want to they, they don't want him to get hurt alonzo is phenomenal this year he's phenomenal you he, of course he compares to aaron judge this year that's all they're talking about is pete alonzo and his grand slams and his walk-off home runs and his lead lead leading rbis that's all i i go through with a lot of pages because of what I got to do for this network. That's all they talk about is Pete Alonzo. And if Pete Alonzo stays healthy, Lindor will never be the face of the Mets as long as, as long as Alonzo is there. Pete Alonzo is the face of the Mets. There's no doubt about it. And if he continues to stay there and play 80% of what he's playing right now, he will be the Mets face for as long as he wants. The Mets will sign him to a big contract. I guarantee you that not only does he play a good first base, he's got a lot of power. He hits for average pretty well. He takes some walks. He, go, he plays DH when he's not playing first base. He's hardly out of the lineup yet. I think he's in the lineup more than maybe Aaron judges. So right now as as a fair comparison to him. And and Aaron Judge right now, and he and I'll tell you right now, as long as the Degrom keeps saying I want to option and I want to get maybe get out, of Mets fans ain't gonna hear it eventually. They're gonna be tired of, of him. Well, I might might opt out, so you to give me more money. They're gonna get tired of all that. Either either they Degrom signs for a few years at a certain amount of money without no opt out, saying yeah I am committed to the Mets, or he doesn't, and I don't think he will. So right now, Jack Pete Alonzo hands down is the face of the New York Mets. At this minute, I don't disagree.
2: I'm just saying as soon as the Gram comes back, he so. resumes being the face of the Mets franchise. I don't think okay, so. Okay, amongst the players, as soon as he comes back. When he's on the disabled list, I can understand Alonzo being the interim guy. That's what, how I look at Alonso. And Alonso isn't to met fans what judges to yankee oh, fans. They, they
1: you're, not to paying, you're not you're not paying attention, Jack. You're des- you're just not paying attention to that. Cuz every bet is. Every bit is. There's always been a competition between him and Aaron Judge, and now it's going full blown. This is this is the competition right now uh between two uh great you know, middle of the role players. I think Alfonso uh, Alfonso a little younger than Judge. I think he is. If I'm not maybe mistaken. by
3: a year, maybe yeah, by a, little, a year,
1: a little bit. But I don't care if Degrom comes back or not. Alonzo has sealed that up. If yet. Degrom comes back and he's the same pitcher he was before, clearly
2: the best pitcher in baseball, the dominating guy. I don't think so. He's the he's the centerpiece of the Mets team. It's, if he you can know come back in that form,
1: he's unhittable. You know why it's hard to say that, Jack? Because I don't remember pitchers really being faces of franchises. Tom Saber? Yeah, I, I'm just saying. I not many. I mean, I can give you a lot Andrew more Kovacs. position. I can I can give you a lot more position players than you can with your small examples of pitchers. Willie Justin Mays, Orlando, Orlando. I mean, I can I can go. We could do this all day, and I'll have more position players than you. Normally, it's not a pitcher. I mean, you look at Derek Cole. He's having a pretty good year. Clayton Kershaw with the Dodgers at uh, his feet.
3: Yeah, Here, yeah, I'm just going to break this up for a quick second. Sure Pete Alonzo's only
1: 27. Yes. Aaron Judge is 30. I, I thought it was closer. So, I mean, this guy, they're going to wrap him up. He's hes hes all messed.
2: I'm not saying he's not going to be. If I had to say going forward, there's a good chance Alonzo's going to be. I'm just saying before this right year's over, Gram comes back healthy, he creates the biggest buzz on the Mets don't think you know, so, amongst yeah. Mets fans.
1: I don't think so. I think I think you're you're not paying attention to the Mets. You're not. If I I go on the that's all the Mets are talking about is Pete Alonso. They don't even really care if the Grom comes back. They're not even thinking about the Grom right now. They're not thinking about anybody but right now, but Alonzo. I don't care if he comes back. And you've got a couple of other pitchers that still got to come back. I I it's, this is it. It's his team now. I believe that. So we'll see what happens. We'll see. We'll see. DeGrom is a great pitcher, when he's healthy and he's not opted out. Now. So, uh, so anyway, so Alonzo, to me, Jax is steadfast with DeGrom-, DeGrom. We'll see. We'll see. I'll be back soon. From what I understand. Let's uh, see when he
2: comes back. Uh, what, you know, how, yeah. where the excitement's going to be. Yeah, definitely.
1: Definitely. Definitely. So we got a, a question that <laughs> about golf and tennis. Oh my God. Uh, well, I, I, you know i didn't you know i didn't oh remember. right
2: right now i remember that's a good question this it's is a good a question. Right question it's a
1: great question i mean it so, deals so, with culture yes it does it does it does expand jack that's why I, I i'm going with it um listen in tennis and golf when the guy goes to tee off everybody's supposed to be quiet in tennis when the person goes to serve everybody's supposed to be quiet. Right. That's that's the unwritten rules. It's been that way for since the games began, I guess. I guess I don't know in Scotland if they were or not, but, you know, they are now um, in the modern era and uh, other sports, you know, not so much. They don't really they you know, in Seattle, who cares if you can't hear what you're calling? And and in, uh, you know, in Kansas City, they don't care. The quarterbacks can't hear too bad. You know, that's the way it is. Baseball, when they're throwing no hitters. Uh, you know, the fans are normally clapping or the other fans are booing them. And, you know, they got to concentrate just as much. So I, I'll go first because uh, you both kind of disagree on this. Listen, tradition I'm all for. You know that. I'm, a, I'm an old school traditional guy. I I want to keep as much tradition in sports as possible. I see why that these individuals uh, are, you know, on full concentration and, and they're not used to playing on teams and, and, you know, certain things and they need full concentration. But on the other hand, you know, we've got, as I said, in football and baseball where you've got to concentrate almost just as much and the fans can yell and scream all they want. You can't tell the fans to shut up. It won't work anyway. So um, I understand both sides of the argument tradition wise. I, I guess I give the edge to the tradition because I am a traditional guy. maybe, Maybe they should just leave that alone and maybe people should shut up and be thrown out, and thrown in jail for, you know, for saying something while they serve or or whatever. But, um, you know, I can understand both sides of the argument. But if I had to come down on one side, I'd say keep the tradition. So what do you think, Jack?
2: I'm going to tell you, I, I can't help but laugh like of something that A-Rod did with tradition Uh, And I'm going to get to the answer. He's on a pop up to the third baseman against the Blue Jays when he was playing. Right before he got to the base, he goes, "Boom!" Yeah, he got mad. You know that he would do something as silly as that. He got drilled after that. You know, Uh, it was an issue. But it's a good point. I kind of learned this the first time about this when I was in college. (laughs) I was walking with a buddy of mine behind the tennis courts, and we were just talking. And then the guy who was about to serve glared at us very angrily until I realized, oh, you know, we were breaking his concentrations. We kept walking, you know, and I don't have any problem with the fans making noise at all times. The only thing I can think about is if it's if it's if it's a golfer and the whole gallery is quiet and right before he hits the ball, someone's yelling something to distract them. I can understand that that shouldn't be. But it's okay when a golfer's about to hit the ball if the crowd is in a frenzy. What are we going to have, the crowd quiet before pitcher's pitching the ball on every pitch? Come on. I mean, get used to it. When a new age, the crowd could yell. As long as it's clean, they can't be nasty. They can't be personal to the point of crossing certain lines. I mean, we all agree on that. But the crowd can get into it. They can boo. They can whatever the heck, you know, noise they want to make. I don't go for this tradition stuff. I think it's gotten a bit out of hand. Who sets the darn tradition anyway? We were even talking about basketball, the last shot of the game. Your team is winning by 20 points. And the modern player says, oh, you don't take a shot at the end with your team up with 20 uh, that's not old school. Well, old school used to take a last shot at a game. I remember those games because I'm old school from back then. So I have no problem with the crowd, you know, during tennis, during golf. As long as they're consistent with the noise, I don't want them to be completely quiet and the second before a golfer hits the ball, someone yells something out. That I agree on. But otherwise, let the crowd get into it completely.
1: What do you think, Doc?
3: I, I think the tradition is that those sports are quiet, and I think we uphold the tradition. Um, I, I think a couple of weeks ago, uh, Jack didn't like YMCA in the in the stadiums or whatever because it was goofy and stuff like that. And I just think it's sort of similar to that. Like, why are you going to break the tradition in, in in the sport? These sports, you get quiet at certain times so that the player can concentrate. You're not playing baseball. You're playing golf. And golf's rules
2: are to stay quiet. So then you stay quiet. Doc, I thought it was degrading to the grounds crew who are professionals who have a very important job taking care of the field. In the middle of their job, they shouldn't have to dance for the crowd. Yes, they should. Yes, they should. Yes, they
1: should. (laughs) That's part of their job. All good.
2: yeah, Yeah, I mean, come on.
1: Look, I listen, real quick story. I worked in a a restaurant in Harford, and the theme was an old style, 40s. um, um, I'm trying to think of the right word uh, Louisiana, Dixieland thing. There you go, Dixieland theme, right? Great restaurant, beautiful, great food. But the waiters and waitresses would have to get up and they would sing uh, or dance and stop serving at a certain time when it was their turn. Of course, they were singers. They wanted to be singers and stuff like that. And the same thing uh, when I went to a a, a bar eatery in, in Albuquerque, where all the waitresses would stop serving, and all of a sudden they start dancing to you know I'm a soul man or something crazy. And you know even the people would jump in and join them. Of course. So I mean, listen, some things are just fun, Jack. Let them let them let them dance and do the YMCA or whatever they want to do. You know, loosen up a little bit. Loosen up that collar. A
3: no, what I'm saying is we're, we're kind of disagreeing on, on on these things. I'm okay with the YMCA, but I'm not okay with the noise. And Jack's okay with the noise, but he's not okay with the YMCA. It's right, interesting exactly. how different things bring about different perspectives. Exactly. But yeah, I don't want the noise in those sports.
1: Okay, so there you go. Unless they're singing the YMCA. So if the golf game <laughs> During a golf if, shot. If, if during a golf game, if all the caddies come out and dance the YMCA for all the golfers, I think Doc would be 100% behind that. So that's something that I would hope would happen one day. That would be fun, right? That Would be weird, that would be great. That would that would go viral, that would make golf huge, right? Also, doc, okay. I
2: know you would do this for one game if it were Yankee Stadium and you could join <laughs> the Browns crew for one game. You would love to go out there in the infield, be on the field, but then you were told you'd have to start <laughs> dancing for the YMCA, you'd have a
1: little apprehension. I think doc would be fully invested in that. I think he would. <laughs> I think doc would be fully invested in the YMCA. I really do so. Guys, we still got 20 minutes, but let's get to the rapid fire. Even if we end the show a little early, we'll talk a little bit about the fight tonight uh, at the end, maybe. so Because that is big That is big news coming out, and uh, 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 maybe we'll talk a little bit about that. But let's do a little rapid fire. So all I want from you is the answer, yes or no, and a quick, quick explanation of why. So, you know, uh, no stories for about, you know, what happened 20 years ago. Just a real quick quick comment so the first question is Kyrie back with the New Jersey Nets next year Jack yeah
2: he'll be back I feel he gives the Nets their best option if he's not back who else are they going to get I think it's a mistake to sign him to a long-term extension but I think they're going to do it anyway Doc
3: no I think the Nets have had enough of uh the antics and and the fact that he wasn't on the court this year
1: I agree with Doc. Okay, uh, LeBron, will he be back with the Lakers next year? Doc?
3: Yes. That's it.
1: That's it. No
2: reason. My answer is yes. He likes living in Los Angeles with his family. It's his second home. And he doesn't have a right to leave on his own. The Lakers would have to trade him.
1: I disagree with both of you. He will not be playing with the Lakers next year. Uh, he's just, he's not committed. He didn't talk about an extension with him. He will be gone next year. Judge passes Roger Maris in the home run, yearly home run uh, uh, battle of 61 home runs. Judge gets 62. What do you think, Doc?
3: I'm going to go no on that only because it's so rare to hit 61 home runs. Judge is on pace to beat that record, but He hasn't had a slump really yet this year. And he also has been playing a lot and he's playing a lot of center field, which might wear him down. So I'm going to say no.
1: Jack.
2: Wow. 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 I'm going to say, I'm going to go out on the limb and say, yes, he's going to get 62. He's going to stay healthy. He's on the roll. He's a great athlete. And then he won't be back with the Yankees next year.
1: Thank you for (laughs) adding that in. And I agree with part of what both of you said. Um, Let's go with Steph Curry, top ten, top five NBA players of all time. Doc.
2: Top five? No way. Okay. Uh, what I think Ralph Cramden once said on the honeymoon is, don't make me laugh. Filling out some application or something. That, no. that
3: was for Norton. Uh, Norton yes, was uh-huh. was asking for a recommendation, right? The applicant is a Bum.
2: (laughs) Wow. Steph Curry's great. If you said top 20, yes, not top five. I'm not saying Steph
3: Curry's a bum. I'm saying what Ralph Cramden said about Norton on the application.
1: This will go viral if you say that. I agree with both of you. Not a top five. Trubisky. Mike Trubisky starts the whole year for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Mitch Trubisky. Uh,
2: Yes, he will. I mean, that backup Mason Rudolph doesn't quite. Cut it, get the starting job. I think Mitch Trubisky is good enough to hold on to the job for the year. But we're not next just- year, just no. I'm not saying beyond next year,
1: but Wait yes. A year. Why do you say Mason Rudolph? The one behind him right now is that kid from Pittsburgh. Oh well, they're rookie, but he's not ready yet. Okay, Doc. He can't ready. He's
2: not.
3: Is- yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't look like they're deep enough. So yes.
1: Okay, Trubisky is starter all year. Yes, I'll agree with you. Tannehill starts the whole year. Also. Uh, Doc, what do you
3: think? No, because I, I see them going in a different direction because wow. I don't think they're going to keep winning with Tannehill.
2: Jack. Uh, when you say start the whole year, he's i I'd say yes, but uh, you know, the problems, he's not going to be replaced as the starting quarterback. Right. That's not going to happen. At the end of the year, if they're out of it, yeah, they might start someone else, but he's not going to lose the starting position during the year. First part, let's say, because he's playing poorly. They have no one ready. Malik Willis isn't ready to step in as the starter. So the answer is Tannen, Tannen Hill. is isn't under any threat. He's going
1: to be their starter for the year. I agree. I agree with you, Jack. So, uh, guys, that's it for rapid fire. Real quick, I want to get your answers. So I want to talk a little bit about the fight uh, tonight. Um, Doc uh, was wanted to go. I finally got an opportunity to go, but I couldn't because of the travel costs. He got back so late. But Jack is going. He's going to be he's going to be there live and 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 watching and covering for boxing news. I think could be fight of the year. Could be, could be, it could go either way. It could either be a terrible one-round, two-round knockout, and it's done. Or this could be an unbelievable fight, Jack. Which way are you going on that?
2: I'm gonna have to go with Otto Better Beef. I mean, he's had, you know, it's amazing. He's an Olympic gold medalist and he turned pro in 2013. He's only had 17 fights, but against tough, tough opposition, and he's stopped all 17. And you know, there's a funny story about this doc too. I went to the press conference doc on Thursday and I saw John Scully, the better, one of all the Better Beef's trainers, who's a regular on this show with Mac and he's a personal friend of Mac. But Mac, to his credit, is told uh, John Scully point blank that Joe Smith is gonna destroy his man. And of course, me being me, I took the opportunity to seek Scully out and remind him about what Mac has been saying in person. But I told him Max changed his prediction. He no longer sees it as a two-round fight. He sees it as an eight-round fight, you know. So uh, Scully said, wow, how do you stay with Otter Ar- for eight rounds? I mean, that amount, because Better Beef is non-stop fighting. I mean, can Joe Smith stand the pace? He'll be able to for a while. And I think they're like different levels. Smith has all the heart in the world. He's a hard puncher. He's really tough. He's improved a lot. If you talked about the greatest overachievers in boxing today, Joe Smith would be high on the list as an overachiever who's gone a lot further than anyone envisioned. He's one of these guys that wasn't a high draft choice that slipped under the radar and look what he's accomplished and better be a lot was expected of him and he's been delivering it's going to be a great head-on fight it belongs in the big arena but they have it in the small arena because i hear there's an eric clapton concert you know in the main arena that's what i was told i didn't look at up, right. I didn't look
1: it up yesterday. Well, well well, Jack, I disagree with you to a point. I don't think Better Beef has fought tougher opponents. I think I think Smith Juniors fought tough, tougher opponents than Better Beav. I mean he fought Bivol. he's fought other tougher opponents. And but did Better, I say tough? I said tough
2: opponents.
1: I don't think I said tougher than Smith. Okay, all right. Tough. But I think I think Smith has fought tougher opponents, and right. I think that you yeah. know that Better Beef can show he's been hurt. You saw his right eye last fight. If Smith can cut him quick get him get him in trouble right away Betterbee's in for some trouble I think I think Smith wins this and doc down your alley this is the classic Rocky uh movie uh Russian versus American where the Russians training is out of this world have you ever watched better a uh, better have train his training sessions are unreal I don't I don't know how anybody could do it but Joe Smith, is one of the he could take a punch, he can fight when his jaws broke, he can fight with a separated shoulder. I mean, this guy can take punches, and he's got the heart of a champion, and he's got dynamite in his hands, too. So I like the comparison between Drago and Rocky with this here, and I'm going with Rocky, man. I gotta go with Rocky.
2: Yeah, but I cannot before that goes, I just want to say one thing and uh, your opinions on this comp better be this Russian. But about 10 years ago or so, he relocated to Canada, where he's yeah. been living. So yeah, even he, though he's a Russian descent, obviously, he's thought of as being Russian. I believe he's gotten
1: Canadian citizenship. So We should consider. He does go back and forth to Russia, too, Jack. He does travel back and forth to Russia. He, he has been there uh, even this year. Um, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. That's his country. I'm not trying to poke anything at that because of yeah. what's going on over there right now. I'm just saying he's proud of his heritage, which he should be everybody is proud of their heritage no matter what happens uh during during the world thing because every country has done something wrong uh, during the histories. I don't care who you are including politics well, let's, uh, let's stick to sports right I, I'm just I'm just setting it up so that they understand that I'm not against him because of his mother country I'm not. And the reason why is because every country has done something wrong, but Doc, this is the classic. This is what you want. To, you you want to see the the fictional become you know the non become the nonfiction. It's going to happen tonight, and it's on ESPN, Doc, at 10 p.m. i
3: just going to. That was the question. I was just going to ask, um, Jack. But uh, you just told it. Tell us. Tell everybody how they can
2: watch the fight so they can all watch it. Well, the fight's going to be on ESPN and at 10 o'clock regular TV. And uh, there's going to be one fight before. The one part about boxing I don't like and I can't stand, okay, (coughs) is it it only caters to young people who like to go out and like to start their night very late. Uh, They go on the air at 10 o'clock ESPN. And there's going to be another fight beforehand. C. Uh, Ramirez, an Olympic gold medalist who beat Shakur Stevenson for the gold medal in the Olympics. He's fighting a fighter, Abraham Nova. It's a wonderful fight that's going to be a lead. And by the time Smith and Betterbeef go on, it's going to be about eleven fifteen, So it's not like an early night. And it's the equivalent of a West Coast baseball game for us on the East Coast, which the, the baseball game does end later than a fight of course but somehow i wish boxing would just begin a little earlier you know some of the fights but uh it it makes it hard when you actually go to the
1: fight because now you got to
2: travel and getting to your car and getting back getting out of there
1: yeah yeah and the thing is i got lee groves is joining me he's in you know he's going to be up late too so i mean you know we're going to be up late but we're going to be in the comfort of our own uh couches not around you know trying to get in and trying to get out and all the craziness around there so it's gonna be fun fun lee is an expert real
2: expert Uh, this this station's not missing a beat with him on there take my word on it i mean lee is respected one of the most respected people in boxing in fact, I spent a little time with him on Hall of Fame weekend. We hung out on the museum grounds a little talked
1: and it's uh, always upbeat when I see Lee. No doubt. He loves boxing and he follow and he's as you said, has written books about it. Is in the punch I forget what they call that, the punch the punch count. He wrote a book. You know, he wrote a book on
2: Muhammad Ali Biden numbers, all of Ali's fights the punch count, that's a debate too. Do you really believe in the punch count?
1: Well, because, because you know, they pick off those punches too. So it's it's, it's interesting as Frank Lotirzo has pointed out that he's not a big fan of it because they could pick off those punches and not enough credit to defense, but whatever. I mean, there's a lot of different ways to look at things. I'm
2: a right? hypocrite when it comes to the punch count. You want to know why? I always, I usually score fights. Even if I'm not covering, I like to score them. And at the end of a round, I'm going to have a lot of doubts whether I scored for the right guy. And I wait for the punch count. If the punch count validates how I scored it, you know, I'm smiling. Then the punch count is accurate. When it goes against what I did, then I don't like it so much.
1: Well, uh, what I'm, what I'll be looking for tonight is who comes out and is more busy in the earlier rounds. Will it be like a Hagler, uh, Hagler Hearn's, and they just come out swinging like heck? Will it be like a, uh, you know, a Foreman, uh, Lyle fight where they're knocking each other down and getting back up? I mean, it's going to be really interesting to see how these fighters approach each other, especially right off the red. So uh, it's going to they- heat
2: up early because. Neither guy likes to move away from his, you know, his opponent. You know, it's more like you mentioned Rocky. It's more like Lang against Ivan Drago. I mean, I don't see either guy like backing (laughs) off and boxing so much. It probably takes place from ring scent, even though both guys can box to a degree, yeah, i see it that type of fight i mean it it's gonna be a savage fight i mean it might be explosive it might be an early knockout one guy might get nailed in the way in and then finished off it's it could go one round it could go nine or ten rounds but it's gonna i think it's more likely to be a battle of attrition and i think better beefaver is more momentum fighter
1: because his work rate is a little greater oh, he's, he's great. He's great. There's no good, there's no doubt. I'm not putting better be of away. I mean, that man, that man keeps coming, keeps throwing punches from all angles. Uh Scully even told me the best way to box him would be not to get in the way of those big punches to come on the side and take angles on him. We'll see what Joe Smith does. Joe doesn't really take angles. Joe just He's goes like and-
2: Balboa. Joe Smith
1: is like <laughs> Balboa. He, just, he just says, All right, hit me. Yeah, and you'll see what happens. Now. You'll see what happens. So it's be a great thing. Folks, thanks for joining us today. I had a lot of fun. Um, tomorrow, again, as I said, uh, this week in sports. Great show. Join us. Jack promised to be there. We'll see. I'll be there. I'll, the I'll be there in the morning. I can go to sleep. Jack cannot. When the fight's over, Jack cannot. He still got some travel. I'm doing. wired when I get back. Okay, all right. Guys, have a great one. We'll see you next week on this Mac and Jack sports debate show. And as always, 99% of the time with our guest, host great award-winning author himself, Dr. Paul Sunderdinger. We'll see you again tomorrow, folks. Have a great Saturday night and don't miss that fight.